0: Good morning. It's so great to see so many new faces this morning. As Pastor Gollum said, my name is Michael Eastman, and I am one of the pastors here at Grace. Pastor Birchfield is, uh, I believe, in Morgan Hill and worshiping there, but we will see him back here again. Oh, he snuck in. <laughs> Good morning, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if that doesn't change the rhythm! <laughs> no, I, he, he had told me that they might be here uh, to worship, and I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't, and I had mentally prepared for it. And then I didn't see him this morning. But it's really great to see you here this morning. And uh, and this morning we're going to be in Acts. Chapter 3, I wanted to pick up there with the apostles, and it's, it's a great text for us this morning. Let me open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the um, thank, Thanksgiving celebration that uh, we all experienced. The provision of wonderful food, family, family, Father, the experience of living in America, and we are just so unbelievably blessed. And and um, Father, we need your help to truly be thankful for what we receive. Even as I think about this text, I think about how easy it is not to keep in the forefront of our mind all that we have, all that we have been freed from, the grace that we have received, it is all in the name of Christ. Father, we give you thanks for the mercy and goodness that you pour out upon us. Father, we pray in our time in your word this morning that you would open it to us, that you would enlighten our hearts. And Father, you would would encourage us that we would cling to the name of Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, I'm going to be in in, uh, Acts chapter 3. Our text is verses 1 through 16. In fact, let me, you can turn to your Bibles if you have one, your electronic device, and you can read along with me. Chapter 3, verses 1. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy One and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses in his name. By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence in the presence of you all. So here we are at this dramatic scene, really Peter's first miracle. Though certainly the text does tell us that many signs and wonders have been taking place. And you can't help thinking back for a minute where we first met Peter. If you look at Matthew 4:18, we see him by the Sea of Galilee, just a fisherman, just a simple fisherman. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Jesus. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You have to wonder, did Peter ever ask himself, what exactly does that mean? What does that entail? Is that an internship? Is that a class? Do I have to read a scroll? Jesus gave really just one prerequisite, follow me. And after three years, Peter and the other 11 disciples followed Jesus. They not only went where Jesus went, but they learned to obey him and to trust him. They learned to believe in his power. And on the day of Pentecost, as we saw, Peter's first public sermon, 3,000 souls received Christ. And on that day, you could say, the Lord fulfilled his promise to make Peter a fisher of men. So as we come to the end of chapter 2, we see the fellowship of the believers. And what stands out to us is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And we talked about this the last time we were in Acts. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching that meant to the gospel message and faith in Christ. They were learning to walk with Jesus, to become witnesses for Jesus. They were devoted to fellowship. They saw their fellowship around a shared faith, purpose, and calling in Christ. And they prioritized that devotion to fellowship with one another. And that means that they were doing all that was necessary to maintain unity of fellowship. They confessed sins to one another if they sinned against each other. In all things, seeking reconciliation and the unity of the faith. And then it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Their pattern seems to have been a regular sharing of a meal together. They were devoted to the centrality also of Christ. They celebrated the new covenant in his blood on a regular and ongoing basis, the covenant of grace. And then it says they were devoted to prayer. Jesus had modeled a personal devotion, a prayer with his heavenly Father, and they too lived in dependence on God through prayer. They responded to threats and obstacles with prayer and it was from God and God alone that they sought their help. And so as we come to Acts 4, I'm sorry, Acts 2, 46, there's a clear pattern of this faithfulness and devotion among the disciples. You can see it in the text. It says, and Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. The church was flourishing. And now as we come to chapter 3, there is this faithful routine to life among the believers. We see the apostles engaging with the community in verse one of chapter three. And I think in their story, there are lessons for us as well. Verse one, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. There really wasn't anything special to the day. They went up to pray. They were living out a life of devotion and they were living it out publicly in community. And there at the gate called the beautiful gate, there were many thousands either on their way along with Peter and John or in the temple itself. And there the man lame from birth asked to receive alms. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, it was a very acceptable practice. This isn't, this isn't someone panhandling and taking advantage of the situation. In some ways, this was someone who was taking advantage of a, 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 a process of distributing social good In the community. So with those that were supported him and helped him, they would take him to the gate on a regular basis, and and he was receiving sustenance in that way. And it was certainly understandable, he was clearly in need of charity. He had no expectation of healing, though, did he? And Peter and John, in this routine of entering into the community, engaging with the community. It says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. Their gaze suggests not just a glance, but an earnest intensity to it. They make a personal, purposeful, visual connection with the man. And they ask him to do the same. Look at us they say. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And here, as we read the story, he wrongly assumes he'll receive alms. But Peter engages with what he has. Look at verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. And there's a lesson in there for us. In fact, a few years back, I'm reminded of a visitor I met out in the foyer, and he was very vocal, very um, had, had very strong opinions. And uh, I can't remember exactly how the conversation started, but I remember he. He began telling me that, and, and seeking to instruct me what most churches were missing. And that if we figured this out, we would do a much better job. He said that what most churches were lacking was positivity. And at first I was, a bit, I was a bit puzzled. He went on to say that churches focus too much on negatives. We needed to stress the good in people to inspire them to be their best. As we talked, I began to realize what he wanted, we couldn't offer. We invited him into the service to hear the message, but I had to tell him that he would not hear an affirming message of his innate goodness. But rather, a message of God's mercy for sinful men like him and me. And you know, that might strike a chord. We can be tempted in those situations to craft our message to meet others' expectations, don't we? We can be tempted. Peter would tell us we need to resist offering what someone wants and give them what we have to give. And that's the gospel. Remember Paul's words from Romans one, sixteen: For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written The righteous shall live by faith. That visitor I met needed to understand the gospel and his need of a savior. The world may want affirmation, but we offer the power to change the human heart. From enemies of God to being reconciled to God. From unrighteous to being given the righteousness of Christ. So how do we do this? First, we pray that the Lord would give us discernment and compassion. This man clearly did not need encouragement. He didn't lack any self-esteem. He needed to lose hope in himself, not reinforce it. He needed to hear that within himself there was no hope. pray for discernment, and then speak the truth and trust God with the results. Doubting the sufficiency of God's word will only paralyze us. And thirdly, accept that what we have to offer may be rejected. In fact, unless the Spirit of God intervenes, it will be rejected. The Bible tells us so. But it's here in our text that we see Peter engage with his faith. Verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's faith. That is huge faith. And it's not just that he's willing to say it, but think about it. The credibility of the apostles is on the line at this point. If this doesn't work, people are going to think the whole thing is a sham, Personally, I don't think I could help but second guess myself. Has Jesus really called me to do this miracle? Peter doesn't hesitate. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, looking at the man born lame, he didn't know Peter nor the gifts of the apostles. It was not the man's faith that would be determinative. And notice that Peter didn't just give him his hand. Peter gave him his faith. Peter engages with his faith. Peter also engages with his compassion. Verses 7 through 8. Says Peter, he took him by the right hand and raised him up. This man, to whom most of the thousands had walked by daily, was virtually invisible. He was considered ceremonial, unclean, and, and unallowed in the temple. He had only known weakness and shame. And it's to this man Peter gave his hand of encouragement. Peter didn't just say, rise and walk and stand back. He helped him up. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. With his right hand, Peter raises him up. His feet and ankles are healed. The man walking, leaping for joy and praising God. And perhaps entering the temple for the first time in his life. Side by side with Peter. It's almost a picture of discipling, isn't it? The intensity of the miracle overshadowed it. But the beauty of Peter's compassion is evident. Now, in all transparency, I have more regrets in this area than triumphs. Even recently, a month back, I arrived at dawn, startled a woman asleep on the office steps, and... But you know, in two minutes that I did engage, I learned her name was Lisa. She had a son whose name was Michael. Just like mine, she said. And though she could not remember how old he was, which brought a tear to my eye, I found out she loved donuts. But I did not share Jesus with her. And worse, it did not occur to me. I was too busy getting ready for a meeting, too busy seeing her as a trespasser. And you may have experienced similar circumstances or experiences. It may not have been someone destitute, maybe an acquaintance whose marriage is in shambles, an uncle with rough edges, a co worker who says they're spiritual but don't go to church, and you never think to engage them with the gospel. I came across this prayer of Charles Spurgeon for his church. I think it fits in this situation. Oh, that as Christians we might be humble. Lord, take away that stiff necked, proud look, take away from us the spirit stand by, for I am holier than thou. Make us condescend to men of low estate. Yes, even to men of low morals, low character. May we seek them out, seek their good. Oh, give to the church of Christ an intense love for the souls of men. May it make our hearts break to think that they will perish in their sin. I think Peter would encourage us. To engage, to engage with compassion and to engage with faith and the gospel which we have been given. Peter and John engaged. Well, what about the crowd around them? Look at verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. A man they've seen for years, lame, and begging at the gate for years, is seen leaping for joy suddenly. Seemingly in perfect health. And we can pause at this point and ask, What was the purpose in God's miracle? What was the purpose in this healing? The man was previously dependent on others for everything. Peter's miracle has given him a whole new life. And it's no less than that. But what else is accomplished? Well, first, we see immediately... In verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. The temple empties out and people rush up from the gate and Peter is given a platform, an amazing platform. Secondly, Peter's apostleship, and message have instant credibility, don't they? We will even see shortly after Peter and John are arrested and brought before the rulers and elders and scribes with Annas the high priest, that they have to let them go because there was no way to deny the miracle had taken place. There was no denying it. Paul shared a similar testimony in Romans 15, verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, and all the way around to Illyricum. Iller, Sorry, Pastor Michael. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. The undeniable power of signs and wonders had firmly validated Paul's apostleship and message of the gospel. Today, the gospel. Excuse me. Today, the apostles are gone. But have you ever considered the impact of the miracle of your new life in Christ and what that has on others? Perhaps that's why Peter would lay write in his first epistle, chapter three, verse 15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is so good. It is really worth breaking down. First notice he says, have hearts that honor Christ as holy. How can we share Christ if he is not cherished within our own heart. We need to first nurture a heart of devotion and love for the Lord. And second, be prepared to make a defense. Be prepared. Our testimony is always on trial. Think through it ahead of time. You may even go home today and practice it with mom and dad. Or parents, you may go and Share it with your children. Be able to clearly articulate your faith, is what Peter encourages us to do. And third, know the reason, know the reason for the hope within you. Why is Jesus precious to you? Why did you forsake all to follow him? How did he change your life? what do you know now have that you otherwise never could have had being prepared with these responses is what peter encourages us to do and there's so much value in hearing peter's admonition to be ready you know why because rarely are opportun- opportunities foreseen Almost never do we see that opportunity around the corner. Be ready. Peter had no idea when he woke up that day that the Lord had a miracle ahead of him. Ahead of him, I don't think he shook John and said, "Hey, let's go heal a guy." They were just heading up to pray. A typical life of devotion. But it is here in verses 11 and 12, Peter sees an open door. An open door before him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He saw the moment. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Peter seizes the moment. He doesn't hesitate. He's obedient to his calling. And Peter sidesteps the trap of pride. I love this in this text. Right off the bat, making sure and clear. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Think about that moment. An unbelievable miracle has been done, and, it, and it, as far as anybody around them is thinking, it's you. What are you going to do? What would the average person do? The awe and attention of thousands is suddenly upon you? Well, Peter immediately deflects the attention away from himself and points to Christ, the source of all power and authority. Look at verses 13 to 16. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So as Peter begins his address, this is his, his second public sermon. He does several things. First, he anchors the message with the God of the Old Testament. This isn't some new faith. This isn't some new religion. This is the God of creation who is playing out his redemptive plan for all humanity. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's making this personal. The one and true living God and this is the God of promise. This connects with every Jew in that temple area and the promises that they anticipate and they expect. And there is a name associated with it. And second, Peter did not hesitate to point out their sin. That's something that's easy. To kind of slide by. He says, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed. I imagine that created a bit of tension in that arena. But you know, there is no salvation without acknowledgement and repentance of sin. Peter did not shy away from being brutally honest. Have you ever had a conversation about Jesus? You shared the love of God through Christ. How he has expressed his love towards you and blessed you. But you could not bring yourself to tell them of their sin. Well third, Peter shows showed our collective awareness of the facts. We really do all have a common understanding of truth. In fact, again, if you were to look at the beginning of Romans, Paul tells us that what is known about God is evident to everybody. It's simply that we deny the truth in our unrighteousness. But Peter says here, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are all witnesses. No one has been absent from the events of the crucifixion, resurrection, and indeed the whole ministry of Jesus. Peter pointed to what they had all seen and experienced. The tomb was empty. No one could deny it. And fourth, and most importantly, Peter points to the object of our faith and the source of all power and authority. He does so with three titles. In verse 13, he says, his servant, Jesus. Or verse 14, he says, the holy and righteous one. And in verse 15, the author of life. These all point to position, to authority, to power. And it is all vested in one name. Look at verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. God used a miracle on that day to validate Peter's message and apostleship. Peter used that validation to point to the true source of power and authority. Peter declared his name by faith in his name. Well, what does that mean? By faith in his name. Is that some sort of talisman? Good luck charm, chanting a name. Think of it this way. Have you ever heard by order of the president such and such or in the name of the king? It means that by the highest authority, it is done. Bank on it. Earlier in this chapter, earlier in chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, he declared this. Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then Peter says this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Peter did not seek to convince with clever argument or his personal power and authority. His ministry and testimony were centered and saturated in Christ. And our testimony likewise is anchored in the miracle of our conversion, the work of Jesus continuing in our lives. We just need to point others to that same power, the name of Jesus. This morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, let us live a life of devotion to Christ. Always being ready to give a defense of the reason for the hope within us. There may very well be a miracle right around the corner that God intends for us to give testimony of Christ. If you have yet to put faith in Christ, I pray you do so today. And myself, Pastor Birchfield, Pastor Gall, Pastor Darren, and many others in the congregation would be blessed to be able to share their faith, to share their hope today. Well, let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for Thank you for this morning, thank you for the gathering of the saints. Father, we come to worship and celebrate And give thanks for all that Jesus has done in our lives. Father, we ask that you would empower our church, empower us individually to become witnesses for Christ, to be witnesses for Christ. Father, help us to be devoted to Christ, to be devoted to your word, to be devoted to one another. Father, we pray you would anchor these truths within us this morning. And Father, help us not to think that the days of miracles are gone. You are producing miracles every day through the conversion of hearts and the salvation of souls. This room is filled with testimonies of that miracle. And we give you thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let me leave you with this word from Colossians 115 regarding Christ. He is the image of the invisible God that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. May you have a blessed week in the Lord. And may you be ready for that next miracle. Lord bless you guys. You are dismissed.